Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on week two of Fighter Fest AEW Dynamite Night 3. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where you not only review AW Dynamite, but also baby Raw, SmackDown, NXT, but oh, baby views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with the money quiz, of course, on Wrestle Culture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet Institute to review AW Dynamite Fighter Fest Week 2. Uh, what did you make of this, Sige? Wildly, wildly, wildly uneven. I'm glad you said that. So uneven. You got the very best and the very worst of AEW on this show. You really, really did. And uh, look, it says something that when you've got this massive grudge match with a unique gimmick attraction, a promise of finality, with loaded with expectation, we should be <coughs> cartwheeling on the way to work, desperate to talk about it, across the desks, not being monetized, and then just saying the same things again when the microphones are in front of us with the same level of enthusiasm, I, I might add, because it's just so great. Honestly, on the way to work, I was more buzzing about Adam Wilborn talking about a certain AEW television debutante yeah. than I was the main event. I could not believe my luck what <laughs> I was going to hear from my esteemed colleague and good friend and I should, that, enthousi uh, that enthusiasm, right, should have been, you know, reserved for the main event attraction. <laughs> the yeah, it's been a while since I've had that feeling. And this is not, like, completely accurate and based on something that occurs quite early in the second hour of that. First hour, here it is, AEW Dynamite, AEW's back, Golden Era. Yeah. Second hour, oh, Jesus Christ, what's happened to this show again? Bookends. There are two of them for a reason, because if the second one isn't there, everything falls over, which is perhaps why it felt like everything careered off a cliff by the end of this dynamite. Jesus Christ. Um, a spectacular fall, of course, um, made worse by particularly how gruesome things got by the end. And I don't mean in the way that some people genuinely enjoy gruesome pro wrestling. And not even that feeling of, oh, that's a shame. You know when, like, you know when something just doesn't work out when everything should have done? 
I, I, the example I've got in the front of my head is rubbish because people like awful things happening to WWE. But Cora Jade skateboard breaking in half is like, that's a bit of a shame. Actually. Yeah, the wrestlers kind, the wrestlers specifically probably don't deserve that moment, even if WWE comically always will. <laughs> but like, I would use the exploding bar by death match as like a good example. I didn't love the match, but like, oh, that's a shame for Moxley and Kenny Omega. Presumably, they didn't have much to do with sourcing the pyro company that put this thing together. Um, I didn't have any of that for how this match collapsed. I was just like, be better. All of you fundamentally involved, even the one who I think is the biggest victim and the one I've got the most sympathy for, even you, mate, be better. Everybody be better. Do better, like, in your presentation, in your... Pipe up. If yeah. You think something Shout up, because, because your face is telling me that you knew you didn't want any of this from the beginning, and mm. yet it happened anyway. Like, have, have faith in yourselves to be better than what this was. Yeah, it was one of those where... <laughs> This time last week, I'm sat here going, the main event didn't finish the way I really thought it was going to, and that's why it was such a brilliant show. And this week, I'm like, the main event didn't finish the way I was expecting it to, and I was really scared about coming in and saying, that was awful, and someone being positive. But, you know, people will say, oh, you always... So negative about AEW Dynamite all the time. This we the get last this. podcast, asshole. Exactly. <laughs> listen to last week. Listen to the us talk about the first sixty minutes of this show. Yeah. Listen to us. You know, campaign. Listen for to us talk to... about the first sixty weeks of this show. Yeah. And then the following like forty weeks or so. Maybe if you if you're thinking, oh, what was so wrong about the the uh, main event? Stick around and find out why. <laughs> we will explain it. Trust me, um, because. Like you say, it started such promise. And when I say promise, I mean a murder. A literal murder on television. I was like, am I going to have to like write notes to this or will there just be a crime report I can read about it? Because <laughs> the show opened with a phenomenal opener, yet again. Uh, Darby Allen versus Brody King. Um, and for anyone, because I saw some arseholes online going... <laughs> When they did the match with, I think it was Malachi and Brody versus uh, Silver and Reynolds, and because Silver and Reynolds got offense, they were like, "Well, guess they botched Brody King then." And I was like, "What are you on about? They won the match. He smashed people up. You you have to give them something." Anytime I say, "Well, this was a squash," I often immediately then say, "But so and so got a little bit of offense in because otherwise, it's just yeah, Goldberg in the nineties or whatever." Ignore these people. Yes. I this, mean, this died with Alan Angels and Kenny Omega, didn't it? Like, yes. It died RIP for good when that like ludicrous take like was allowed to get airtime. It was like, like kill it, kill this one, kill this. Yeah. Um, but I think anyone who said, uh, I just think Brody King's got that aura anymore. That's been put to bed because that is the most terrifying man I've literally ever seen. Uh, particularly that Gonzo bomb, which is replayed on my Twitter feed and in my mind since I watched <laughs> it about six o'clock this morning. So, uh, Brody, sorry, Darby immediately drop kicks King to the floor and goes out to do his big tope, as he often does. King just went, nah, we're not doing that today, mate. Slams him against the ring post. Uh, he just takes him out when they get back in the ring. Chops, lariats all over the place. He, I, I said this yesterday as a joke, and I often overuse this phrase, but Adam Nicholas got it right. Chucked it round like an empty tracksuit. <laughs> Uh, any comebacks, nah, no bollocks. Just, like, I've seen barricade throws before, and it's kind of seen them a lot. And I was still like, oh, my God, that looks like the worst bump to take ever. Uh, we go to a break. Again, it just kills him during the break. When we come back, Darby's like, right, what can I use to get any sort form of, like, chance to, to get some attacks in here? Because anytime I just punch him, he just goes, 
and carries on hitting me. So he takes off his belt, wraps it around his legs. He uses that to pull him to the floor uh, and does that mad dive that's also a flip that looks like if he, he's you know slightly wrong in any sort of form of rotation, someone's going to die. He's a human cannonball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he goes for the coffin splash, um, several coffin splashes. King just catches him again. And he's like, oh, God, he's dead. Puts him in a sleeper, puts him in a tree of woe, uh, goes to the cannonball, does uh, does uh, Brody King. Darby gets out of the way, manages to hit a code red. That finally gets him a near fall. He puts him in this weird submission and then transitions into a sleeper, uh, which King just gets out of by cannonballing both of them into the corner. Uh, they fight on the apron. There's a callback to that brilliant, uh, was it the Royal Rampage, was it, yeah. wasn't it? That bit where he chokes him on the apron, drops him to the floor, and you think, oh, Darby's going to be counted out. And Darby's like, no, I'm going to fight on through, guys. I'm going to make it back into the nine count. And King just goes, well, fair enough. Dead. Gonzo <laughs> bomb, dead. One, two, three. Uh, let's talk the match because there's a lot of that happened post-match as well, Sitch. It genuinely doesn't give me, honestly, the most amount of earnest pleasure to say that Darby Allen is the most underrated wrestler on the goddamn planet. And he's a genius at what he does because, you know, there's been accusations that have haunted yeah. him. And, you know, you just... Don't want to go full tilt in loving him, but it's yeah, he's so good at what he does. He is good at what he does. He's a genius at what he does, in fact. Right. This is a pretty lame analogy, but bear with me, right? It is possible, if you have the skill, to make the most delicious dish possible from a really nice, substantial, fresh bit of cod, some butter, garlic, and lemon, right? Mm. I've never been able to pull it off. There's a, a cookbook I've got. It's Tapas Revolution, and I've eaten this exact dish in um, a restaurant before. Cod, butter, lemon, garlic. If you can cook it to perfection, it's one of the nicest things you'll ever do. If you can't and don't have the craft, it's just this bland thing. It's really everyday ingredients. Lemon fish. (laughs) This was the perfect, simple match that structurally was absolutely indistinguishable to several kind of matches you've ever seen involving an absolute colossus and a scrappy underdog. But their chemistry, their storytelling ability, the conviction with which Darby took those bumps, um, how they perfectly measured the comeback spot so it didn't really feel trite. It didn't feel like, all right, now it's time for the comeback. It's like, Life from the break, this yeah. Is, this is opportunistic survival against this monster... <laughs> It was incredible. Like even Darby doing his usual stuff that he does, and it always looks great. Just looked even better. Like how he managed to bump so that he just caught the blades of his shoulders upside down against a guardrail without breaking in the back of his skull open with his expert timing and the trust he put in Brody King, who was sensational as well in this match, which is tremendous. It was legitimately like a ten-minute heat seg- sequence, sequence, and it was the most compelling thing I've seen on television all year, almost. Um, that dive that you described, it was like if a bullet could do a loop-de-loop. <laughs> I don't know how he's done that. It was absolutely, he's, like, he's got a really big base against which to bump, but it was still incredible. Like the, the narrow distance between those ropes and the speed and the rotation. Just excellent, excellent, but incredibly simplistic work, but beautiful in its simplicity. Um, obviously, the callback to the Royal Rampage was great. Um, the cannonball thing was great. It's like, right, okay. I'm going to have to hurt myself just to hurt you, which itself was such a great way of putting Darby's fight over without it resonating as this histrionic fire-up spot, which is a kind of a trope that can't be done well, but I never got the feeling that they were trying too hard to 
break the logic and break the aura of Brody King, who looked like absolute money in this match. Uh, Darby is a genius at what he does. And uh, just a quick word as well on that bullet dive thing. Brave as well. I know it's you know, not bread and butter. It's not that straightforward, but I know it's something he does regularly. But the, am I right in thinking the first one, he sort of caught his legs on the ropes? I think that was opportunistic because I think it was always going to do a big protracted yeah. heat sequence. I think it was opportunistic where he caught his legs, but I think it was going to get caught anyway. Yeah. And if it wasn't, and they've, it's even better. It's one yeah. of those where it's even better if they've improvised. But like if, if it was the accident that we presume it was in terms of him accidentally like that, to then be like, right, I'm going to do that again, and this time I'm going to flip. Because if you catch your legs, all I've seen is when people catch their legs, they either slow down a little bit, and normally people tries to save them, or they literally go face first down to the ground. If you try that again and you're trying to rotate as he often does as he's going through it, it's really dangerous. And I know he goes through I mean, that gonzo pot. You said yesterday, both of you, they're mates. So they're going to go, they've planned this out, been talking about it on WhatsApp for ages and got these mad spots. I was like, Jesus, yeah. how good friends are they? The Ganzo bomb is one of them moves that always appears on those, like typically very shoddy made, but kind of charmingly so, uh, YouTube videos with the burning hammer and like the worst, most dangerous version of the Steiner screwdriver broken up with like Comic Sans text. Yeah, numbers. yeah, yeah. Like moves you don't see anymore and the footage is always grainy, which makes it feel like an extra sort of like video nasty, which in a way... This was a snuff film. Yeah, AW <laughs> has brought them back to life for better and as we lately on this episode, in fact, sometimes for worse, um, onto like a mainstream stage and made them make sense in mainstream pro wrestling again. And, you know, it's, it's brilliant for it because violence staged violence on a wrestling show where your brain is trained to expect that can be absolutely beautiful. And this was beautiful staged violence a million times better than barbed wire everywhere. You know, I don't want to keep bringing this back to my criticisms of the main event, but something I couldn't articulate yesterday and is now sounding like a victory lap and I don't mean it to. Something about matches like barbed wire related ones are, right, you just had his skin pierced. That's real. Yes, I can relate to the pain of real pain, but it's real and this is supposed to be fake. And that gets me thinking, like... This is what I watch wrestling for. This is the like the presentation of a physical contest. And what made that feel more real in the way that I wasn't thinking about it, I was only feeling it was Sidgwick used the words, there was not a single fire up in this match. There was a man fighting to survive. And that's such a it's a tonal shift that you don't even notice because you're acceptant of the fire up because you've seen a story play out, you know, mm. and the hero's kind of supposed to make a comeback. But one of the only times I can remember that that was used so effectively um was John Cena and Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. Cena wasn't permitted a fire-up. He was fighting to survive. And he couldn't do it. And that's why I think that match st struck such a chord. And that's why this was as effective here. Darby's had a couple of these as well, um, which, you know, means we have to give him a great deal of the credit for this being as effective as it was. The one against Andrade followed the Just same pattern. Murdered, yeah. And Andrade <laughs> never, had never looked so good in years as he when he was battering, like knocking Darby Allen all over the shop. That... Um, what felt like an adapted botch from what was going to be the story of like, well, one of Darby's like hardest hitting weapons cannot floor this man, but then gradually he grinds him down that he can, and even then he has to add a flip. I bought that strange trapping submission as the finish because I thought Darby Allen was going to win. So it's like, I'm watching this thing. Well, he can't. How, how can he win this? And then he kind of arrives in this strange submission hold where he's just grabbing him. It's like, well, that'll do. 
that's an unusual finish. AEW like giving secondary submissions to wrestlers. So I'm suddenly on the hook for, like, that's how Darby escapes with this win. Like, just tonight, like, he remembers that he's had this battle and he's won. And then he gets noped, and then he gets noped again, and then the finish is basically a Ganzo bomb is a one-giant nope. Mm. Oh, well done for getting back in the ring, dickhead. Like, I'm going to... You, you're <laughs> going to wish you stayed out for 10. It's a good babyface trait to want to stay in it regardless, you know, and then get beaten that way. It, this was sublime stuff. Mm. Absolutely sublime. I don't like much about Darby Allen at all. And every year he makes me consider where I should put him in like my match of the year, top five, top ten. There's things like the first the draw with Cody. There's the pay-per-view opener with MJF and now there's oh. this. And there will be others I'm forgetting. He insists on being in that conversation for me. One more comparison to the main event and I think it makes a good general point about where AEW's booking has completely fallen off. Everyone knows I'm a huge proponent of the spirit of defeat and the clean result. I felt so much more for Darby Allen, in spite of myself, as someone who, right, you just fought your absolute heart out there. How can I? Uh, how can I possibly, after a performance like that, with a conviction of the booking like that, think any less of the character and think, oh, I'm not going to take him seriously anymore. He's lost his heat, or you know, mm. his aura's gone a little bit. And then, because of the complete carny mechanisms of the main event, I thought less of Eddie Kingston. Yeah, when I didn't want to, mm. I, I like one guy exponentially more than the other. But the booking of what are effectively fictional characters on the show, right, made me think so much less of Eddie Kingston and Darby Allen. I, I should not be thinking that it's complete bollocks. Uh, Post match, uh, Brody King continues to uh, beat down Darby to bring out Sting, who comes out, rushes the ring, uh, and gets King in position for the Scorpion Death Drop. Then the lights go out, and when they come back on, Sting is face-to-face with Malachi Black, and Brody King grabs him from behind. Uh, Malachi Black misses him, and Sting passes out from a combination of the two. And this brings out Miro, who doesn't quite make the save. He just comes out and stares with his sunglasses on on the ramp. Yeah, this was good. This I think I enjoyed this more through how much the crowd enjoyed it than I did personally. I'm not... It's, you know, this is just a subjective take of mine. I'm like... I love the outcome if the match is this trio's match. If it is Miro and Sting and Derby and this is Miro's formal, like the formalization of what we've already seen as a babyface turn and he helps them against House of Black, that's an unbelievable match. I cannot wait for it. I'm not hugely into the story, but I do admire the details of putting into it. Miro's got those half and half glasses on, so he's got like eye stiff, like Alistair Black, like the toxic juices in his eyes, but it's in his heart and soul. Um, the one criticism I've got of this, objectively, because... Aye, the match is going to bang. Um, Production-wise, they lingered quite a long time on Miro doing nothing, and it ever slightly undermined mm. the impact of his arrival on the scene to, to stop things dead, you know, to stop the heels in the tracks, basically. I love, Sidgwick's mentioned this a lot, I always loved those AEW getting the order right of the run-ins and the beat. Like, it was never any doubt about who were the heels and who were the baby faces. Like The baby faces have to be outnumbered before they start making the save. You never want to be in a position where they're suddenly the bullies in a big brawl. So this was right in that regard. You know, Sting Mm. levels the playing field and so on. Uh, But I just, they hung on Miro a little bit too long. And I'm very, very excited for the match. And I hope this doesn't fall into the AEW trap of giving us too much teasing to the point where I start losing interest. Uh, Yeah, I'm banging to this. The God-fearing or God-equaling guy calling them pagans. I'm sorry, I say (laughs) it every single time. I think it's (laughs) fabulous. 
I'm even into eye stuff at this point because yeah. I'm so high on the eye of black on the house of black. The eye of black. The eye of black. <laughs> what is Sting's face paint going to look like the next oh time he God. appears on television? You just know they've got a fantastic idea. This trios match is going to be absolutely fantastic if and when it does happen. Like Darby's gonna. Uh, God, it's just uh, I want to fantasy book that match now. I kind of want to see it now, but at the same time, it's not like the death triangle. House of Black thing where it's like, don't take six months to do something that people are just going to go, ooh, ah, what a great spot. Because you don't build those kinds of matches for six months. You can build this one for two ahead of All Out. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Perfect destination for it, isn't it? Yeah. And then we go backstage, and there is my f***ing guy. <laughs> two times is there. Uh, the former tr Troy, two times Donovan, uh, now known as Cole Carter. Um, <laughs> he is challenging for the FDW title tonight. Did he cut a promo here? Yeah, he, uh, he, he sort of cut a promo. He sort of said... How did it sound? Well, he was talking. I've, I've written down the, the second half of it. I've not got the beginning of it because the, he, st he starts talking about challenging for the title and, and, and what he's been up to, basically. And Ricky Starks, man, the absolute piece that he is, walks in, Hobbs... Puts of the Shark Week hat thing on Tony. And Ricky Stark says, uh, ah, last time we saw you, uh, you were sleeping with the fishes. Now you swim with the sharks. I loved it. And he said, you're going to challenge me for the FDW title tonight. I've been champ for over a year for a very good reason. And he says, hey, Ricky, the way you say it more, your future <laughs> going to look real similar to your past. When I beat you for the title tonight. <laughs> I love this, unsurprisingly. Other than the anticipation station of your impression, <laughs> my favorite bit about this, right, and I kind of didn't want to put this on Twitter just in case the tweet banged because I thought that, spoiler alert, it wasn't the best individual performance from two games. His promo here was pretty horrific, right? And you know, he's been in the business all of what, like, I don't know. Not long, yeah. Not long. Right. I'm convinced that just as he was walking out a shot, Ricky Stark's corpse to tell crap his promo was. <laughs> Go back and watch it. He's like, that was that was that was crap. Right? <laughs> like seriously, I'm convinced. Watch it. I watched this promo and felt like like I don't know, like a hard edged wrestling vignette was ending and I could just hear Wilborn's voice going, He's the baddest motherfucker in the business. <laughs> and my old friend two times. <laughs> Yeah, I've never had an emotion where, you know, they go, oh, we've got loads of stuff coming up in Excalibur's <laughs> doing his prelude to the show. My, by the way, the biggest one yet was the one at the end of this show, in case I forget it, where he <laughs> runs through Rampage, Deadly Dishonor, and I think Dynamo, uh, Fight for the Fallen. We finally got trios titles! Bring him on. <laughs> what? Bring well, him back. You know what he's going like? Oh, tonight, tonight's show, we've got you know, this, the, 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 the women's tag match, and we've got, you know, the barbed wire everywhere. And I've never gone quickly, so quickly, where he goes, and the FTW Championship's on the line tonight. And I was like, oh, Sid, I was completely with Sid yesterday. I was like, we don't need any more matches added to this show. And I was like, wait a second, who's that? <laughs> Boom, Cole Carter's there. And gay. Two dimes, one women's match. <laughs> uh, right, then it was time for John Moxley and Wheeler Yuda uh, to take on best friends, Trent Barretta, Chuck Taylor, uh, with, with Regal. Huh. And Orange Cassidy on commentary. <laughs> I think there was a bit where Excalibur's asking, like, went in this big diatribe about a trainer. Orange Cassidy went, uh, yeah. 
brilliant. <laughs> and Regal just didn't know what was what he was dealing with on commentary. He was very much like, who is this gentleman here? Uh, it was uh, a bit like you alluded to, though, Sid, in terms of uh, Trent, uh, Trent and Moxley are in there, and then in comes Utah. He wants to he wants to fight Trent, and Trent goes, nah, bollocks, I'm getting out. Tags in Chuck Taylor. Chuck tries to sort of big league him, but uh, after an exchange, in comes Trent, and Utah's battering him as well. He fights out of a German, though. He uh, does Trent. He reverses it into a back suplex. And he just starts wailing on him. And even Chuck Taylor comes in. He's like, whoa, whoa there, uh, Trent. You all right there, buddy? And then I think that was the point where you were just, you know, saw an opportunity, swung, nailed Chuck. And he's like, nope, change of plan. We're kicking the <laughs> crap out of him. So I think Trent took the official and Chuck just chucked him into the barricade on the floor uh, to, to teach this boy a lesson. Uh, we go to a break. Uh, best friends have isolated Utah throughout the break. Uh, but when we come back, Moxley gets the hot tag and uh, he takes Trent's head off, basically. Um, he hits him with those hammer and anvil elbows. Um, he stomps on Trent, but then Chuck Taylor makes the save. Uh, and Yuta uh, gets crotched on top and they hit uh, Moxley with the awful waffle. Back-to-back uh, -back pile drivers on Yuta gets a two-counter. Same with the crunchy. Uh, Moxley makes this save, though, and everything breaks down. Uh, Moxley figure fours Trent on the floor. And Chuck goes for Utah and gets trapped. What seatbelt pin? Is that what it's called? Seatbelt. Looked really nifty, that. I really like that for the victory. And post-match and during the match, I should say, there was a, a shot of Daniel Garcia, who didn't just do his whole, hmm, you know, the WWE, hmm, I'm making notes on this match. He would basically, I can only describe as, get a load of this guy. That's what he <laughs> did when he was watching the match. Uh, what did you make of it all, Sid? I thought this was absolutely fantastic. I thought it was a fantastic professional wrestling match with fantastic multi-layered storytelling, and I absolutely adored it, and this is what I watch AEW for. This is what I watch AEW for. I love having these segments, matches, angles, promos, whatever, when you think, this is what I want to watch it for, right? And I also watch it for personal vindication of my goddamn opinions. We've said, you can handle it, right, for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice that they have a, earnestly nice that they have a masculine portrayal of what friendship is nowadays. But I don't think these 40-year-old uh, losers should probably stop uh, doing lowercase <laughs> tweets with no punctuation on Twitter. <laughs> like, they're at, least, they're at least 10 years too old for this, like, at least. Blink-182 is thinking about college, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're multi-multi-millionaires, yes. and you're in your I'm late like 40s. i my room on. It's <laughs> because you're a millionaire. You've got someone to clean it for you. So we've sensed, I think they've got this bit of a vibe where they're not like the most whole, their whole act is wholesome guys. Mm. It's like, they're a bit like aloof. Are you being sarcastic, man? I don't even know anymore. They've <laughs> got yeah, that yeah. quality to them. Funny enough, they work situational heel in this match and it's the best thing the two of them have done together in forever. Yeah. It was awesome, this. John Moxley, right. This is how good AEW is at its best, right. John Moxley makes me fall in love with him again, even though I'm already wildly in love with John Moxley, the character, the performer, the professional wrestler. John Moxley, protective dad. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah. <laughs> As if he couldn't be a better. Oh wait, hang on. That definitely is a value. Wait a second. Say again. John Moxley, protective dad. Oh my god! <laughs> is just the best. Like this sequencing of the story, this plotting of the story, the mapping of the story with him and Wheeler Yuta. He, he now respects and likes him so much, but they're still not patronizing you with the idea of, well, he's survived three wars with Moxley, and at the end, he very, very nearly got him. You're his equal now. No, he's still your dad. He's still <laughs> your dad, and he's still bigger and stronger than you. You've still got a ways to go, kid, 
but he likes it so much that he will go ballistic, apoplectic, if you take liberties with that guy in the ring. Oh, my God, that story time was fantastic. The action was great. Chuck Taylor running away like a bitch from (laughs) Mox was bitch AF. It was just fantastic. I know... Taylor and Trent have both played heels before, like in my first rodeo. But to see them do it in the AEW context under the guise of the best friends, I thought was particularly inspired and potentially well overdue. The two pile driver onslaught was great. The explanation for, oh, they're just doing excessive stuff. No, they train their neck muscles every single day in that terrifying Blackpool Combat Club dojo. So much of this was great. And Orange Cassidy at the end, Chuck taught him that. Yeah, Chuck taught him that like kind of how dare you sort of thing, was just fantastic. Um, It's weird. In lieu of a big top-line program, because I'm blatantly waiting to see if Punk can make all out, Mm -hmm. so they're not really committing to anything in that direction until they get, um, you know, reassurance one way or the other. John Moxley's mini programs are phenomenal. Everything he does is phenomenal, and this match was great. And I kind of champion this guy sort of out of nowhere anyway but in terms of a mini program that suddenly has to become a massive one overnight if Punk can't go um, I still think Orange Cassidy is an option I, I really do not least because I'm extremely worried about the result of the main event of the show telling us who the alternative could be yeah. um, like Cassidy was uh, we didn't get much interaction in the way I would have maybe liked or even expected but he's a bit spicier you know there's that sort of suggestion that he's unimpressed by the Blackpool Combat Club and and Machismo and Moxley being able that that sort of point you made about him, you know, well, right, that's enough. Was like so perfectly measured because he was kind of the fourth man in all of this, wasn't he? Yeah, like he was a bit of an out, an outside force until he was dragged into it. King Kong lariat on Trenum, yeah, yeah. <laughs> took his goddamn head off. I, I love this so much that it kind of made me feel a bit sorry for AW because of dickheads like myself on the internet. Right, uh, not every match. We've said this about loads of matches before. Not every match needs a story. Not every match needs a fake interview, pull apart, whatever, yeah, whatever. Imminently. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, but then when they do have a small one, it massively enhances something that would otherwise just be mid-card TV. It's like you're in that sort of position where it's like, well, the good ones are great and they're worthwhile. Just don't do bad ones. Just and do what I want. Just do what I want. I just, yeah. do every, just do everything perfect and it'll be fine. Like, that's, <laughs> like unfair expectations because this had a modicum of story and it became basically like the source material for everything physical. And that's why they apply and they apply story to everything. But sometimes you're just like jamming it on a wall with chewing gum rather than actually just carefully crafting it. And it's it's that. It's that that they don't get right as much as they used to. And I think the difference between what we would consider golden eras and maybe where we're at currently. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. We then got a video package hyping up the uh, Ring of Honor World title match for Saturday yeah. uh, between Jonathan Gresham and Claudio Castagnoli. And then we got Chompy, uh, the Shark Week mascot was stood there. Um, and they announced to Dick Scalibur that Fight for the Fallen, which goes down next week, is going to be uh, partnering this year, focusing on ocean health and marine life, which is lovely to hear, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. Are we tied in with Shark Week? I was thinking more about talking about Fight for the Fallen. I mean, I can talk about it now. Uh, also, if you haven't done so already, and I don't know if you, why you wouldn't be, if you listen to this podcast, why you wouldn't already be following Nyla Rose on Twitter, oh. but Nyla Rose's Twitter is just... Game Twitter game's unbeatable. Surprise, beach! <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, it got me huge. And her grabbing Serpentico through the shark's mouth with her arm. Despite the very best efforts of AEW, uh, they haven't made it onto the uh, Discovery. Shark Week, check it out! Like, it's wrestling. Nobody will ever care about wrestling. Yeah. This is And this is not particularly a slight AEW, because Discovery are advertising on Friday. So watch out, Rampage. Uh, Jaws versus the Blob. What? So, you know... <laughs> They did all of this and still couldn't get recognised. This is why wrestling is where it is. Yeah. Uh, and then it was time for the Swerve in Our Glory uh, tag team title celebration. Uh, Tony's in the ring. He introduces Swerve and Lee. They come out with the titles. Uh, and uh, Swerve cuts a brief promo pointing out rapper Kevin Gates in the audience. So he puts over along with his album and tells people to go out and buy it. And then Keith Lee gets the microphone. It is time for me to talk. He says... Excuse me, before we move on, I have one question, Mr. Gates. We all know the album is splendid, but when are you releasing the deluxe edition? Now, that would be <laughs> truly sumptuous. Hey, Alan, Alan, I just wondered if you had any more of the Alan Partridge tie and blazer badge combinations. <laughs> now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I need to express my eternal thanks, not just to Sir Strickland. I, I've tweaked it a little bit. In exact, it's not verbatim, all right? <laughs> not, just to get, not just to the opportunity to get these magnificent trinkets that we are wearing on our shoulders, but to each and every <laughs> one of you. <laughs> Excuse me a moment. Do you know how the heat bothers me? He takes off his jacket. At this point, swerved as a whole. It's bothering take- me. It's boiling that you cannot be doing this, man. Swerves goes, take it off, take it off. And I think it was Taz on commentary goes, leave it on, leave it on. I was like, oh, come on. He goes, oh, thank you, good sir. Now we appreciate you. With your assistance, I would not have ascended to the pinnacle of this tag team division. We do not look down. He says, if you want a chance at these titles, you had better reach. And with that, I believe it is time for a toast. To this tag team championship reign, may it be limitless. And then uh, it went kind of downhill, in my opinion, because yeah. Mark Sterling and Tony Nice interrupts. Sterling says, oh, you got lucky, and I've still got this petition. That's uh, trying to get Swerve fired, and he walks around to Have that. Have I missed something? <laughs> Why does he want Swerve fired? Why does he work for AEW? <laughs> and I'm sorry, and that's a bigger question. <laughs> He's, he's the worst character in AEW. He's the WWE device. He's the gateway to all that is bad wrestling. He did Marks, feel smart very Marks WWE Every, this. Everything he does is... Funny talent, wrong company. Yeah. Like, 
everything he does basically allows them. He's like a cheat code to things that are bad. <laughs> it's a short. Yeah, do, do you want to enter this code? Then the game gets worse. Was it a Royal Rampage thing that I've missed? Did he eliminate Nice or something? I, uh, I can't remember. Is it loosely tied to his last contract legal dispute angle with Danhausen? Is there anything hanging off the back of that? Okay. It's, it's I crap. It the is fact I'm not even bothered to research this. I don't, the thing is, like, of all the people, you know, talk a lot about bloat and who they should sign and who they shouldn't sign and all that. I like. I like dark and dark elevation now, but there is a clear distinction between the signed people and the people that are trying to get jobs and thus doing jobs to get jobs. Tony Nice is a really great TV job to the stars. There actually needed to be a tier that Tony Nice occupies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. The Smart Marks early manager is an unnecessary addition to that. Yeah, I think it worked putting in with Sterling to get to the, what was it, Hook and Danhausen thing. And then I was just like, ah, still doing this, are we? He comes down, he confronts the... Uh, so fake and lame. It is rubbish. He confronts uh, Kevin Gates, the rapper in the front row. Uh, Trails tries to get him to sign the thing. Gates refuses. Sterling says his music sucks. So Gates steps around, steps into the ringside area, tries to get in his face, and uh, Tony Nice gets between them. And <laughs> Gates, I mean, he hits Tony Nice as hard as he can in the face. That looked good. Um, and then Sterling gets kick in his face. And the fans home happy. A bit pathetic, this. Generally a bit pathetic. Like, it's one of those where it must be really bad if you are earnestly happy for the celebrating champions, even if there are another tag team you kind of wished it was happening for, and then you resent them as a result of the segment of television that you've booked on their behalf because this was just low stakes, frivolous, threatened directions. I don't want, I don't want to see Neeson um, Sterling versus Swerve in our glory. If it doesn't happen, why did this happen? What was the point? It wasn't funny. I think it was just an obvious attempt to like get mainstream credibility, doing two things at once. It just didn't feel good. Two weeks ago... We were all forecasting the main event of All Out being for the tag team titles and the confirmation of something that Bucks always wanted to do, which was make tag team wrestling a main event concern again. And one tag team on the show reminded you why that was felt visible in your mind. <laughs> like coming upon this episode and the team with the AW tag team titles made you realize that fundamentally as a company, they believe more in the young Bucks than they believe in the belts. Mm. I will say this, good cake shot from Swerve. Like I've seen many, many a time in just, in this business. <laughs> in this business. Where they go to do like someone getting their sh face shoved in cake or getting slammed into it or whatever it may be. And they turn around and there's like one crumb on their face. They nailed him with this. So that's one good thing we can take from it. Uh, Some good technique on Morris dancing. <laughs> yes, yeah, cake work. <laughs> it wasn't a shoot cake. It was a working cake. It's actually, it's, done the it's been on dark and dark elevation, that cake. So that's like, that's how it got its shot on Dynamite. Uh, Dark Order are there with Butcher and the Blade. They've made butched shit t-shirts for him. Why would they do this? To engineer a conflict. I thought this was absolutely pathetic. I mean, I, I like Pete Dunne's gimmick more than his old one too. So yeah. I buy the shirt. And I, I just I complained about this last week. What's going on with Hangman Page? He was world champion. What's going on with friggin' Alex Reynolds? <laughs> like, he get, like, Jesus Christ, like, they get decked. He gets left for dead. 
and Paige's like, I'm here. And now, like, it's Hangman Page and John Silver in the tag team together. Like, Alex Reynolds just chopped liver of the Dark Order. So was this set up via, they were going to have a match, Silver Reynolds versus Butcher and the Blade, because we were both sharing the same thing. Then it's turned into Hangman and Silver versus Butcher and the Blade. That wasn't said beforehand, so we either have to infer that, or that the Dark Order have asked for time because they'd like to present the Butcher and the Blade with the new T-shirts. It's either A or B. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. God damn it. I, my least favorite take, think of all the rubbish ones you read on Twitter. Think of the ones I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I on this app? Think of all the worst ones that give you that feeling. My least favorite take is, AEW doesn't tell stories. They clumsily attach stories <laughs> yes. to literally every single bloody thing that they do. Yeah. Why can't this match just exist as a fixture? Because the promoter will want to determine who the best tag teams are for, especially when there's new champions as well. Exactly. I got Why can't it just exist like this in the sports-oriented company? Now, dickhead John Silver, who needs to kind of turn heel at this point, right? Doing his stupid BTE stuff on television and becoming Jim Cornette and becoming that Joker, baby. Because, <laughs> like... Why did this have to happen? I don't why, know. Why, why? I understand you have to get characters over at the same time, but my God, if this is leading to some heel books and Omega versus Paige, Silver, and Reynolds, maybe all out, which is the threatened direction, they're making me want to turn Hangman Page heel. I've Especially got when Kenny Omega's going to have the big, you've been away for nine months and I love you so much all over again, yeah. glow. What's going on? I've got the galaxy brain answer to your question, Sage. So, um, obviously, Hangman Page at the moment still loitering around with the Dark Order, but the teases with the Elite are absolutely exceptional. It's already feeling big time that you've got Page and the books back together. That was started when the Elite, theoretically, were finished with the Matt Jackson nod at Full Gear and all that sort of stuff. In the meantime, Alan Angels has gone, Stu Grayson has gone. Uh, Colt Cabana, for some reason, has been shunted to Ring of Honor. Uh, there's obviously the, the turn that we're going to get to in the main event. The Dark Order are falling apart, aren't they? And as a bunch of losers they're effectively right back where they started as if hangman page and the books get back together will be the elite babyface elite versus heel dark order run it back december 2019 <laughs> baby oh, nxt does a good long-term story demos demo like they're, they're gonna they're gonna run back the worst story <laughs> the, companies is, the thing that when tony khan did that dynamite that you always talked about where it was like now the elite is going to beat the dark order in a single match number like yeah. uh, all of you, get out of my room. I'm the booker now. Uh, the babyface is going to go over and the stars are going to be stars. They're going to uh, bring them all back together. <laughs> Maybe you were right all along and we do <laughs> need to do it. Put your hand in Matt Jackson's mouth and see what comes out. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot about that bit. Because <laughs> John Silver is an asshole. <laughs> like, when he's on television now, he's an absolute asshole. Then it was time for Varsity Blondes versus Christian Cage and Luchasaurus. Loved Christian Cage's work in this match. Uh, he started off immediately tagged in Luchasaurus and let him kill both of them. Garrison got some uh, rolling elbows, I think, in at one point, but, and uh, Pillman landed the thrust kick. And Luchasaurus just you know, kills him. Both double clothesline, chucks Garrison into Pillman. Christian's like, I'll take it from here. Tags in, one, two, three. Good sort of squash victory here. And post-match, Christian does do the put me on your shoulders like I'm Jungle Boy thing. And he's there, and they're celebrating. And then Tarzan Boy hits. Jungle Boy is back, and he's brought a chair with him. And he walks down to the ring, determined to finally get vengeance on Christian Cage. But Luchasaurus goes to the outside to confront him. And then he steps to the side, 
Jungle Boy chases Christine Cage right out of the arena. Great Benny Hill chase up the stairs and around. I thought that looked great. Um, but what what did you make of this? Because I we were talking about this in the office earlier, and I was like, it was only, what, six weeks ago that it happened. So it's probably five weeks that Luchasaurus decided, oh, I'll partner with Christian Cage. And four weeks that she actually did Christian Cage's bidding, effectively. Yeah. I just, it, the the whole, oh, he stepped to one side, just didn't have the oomph for me. But what, what about you? Yes, yeah, so this is the thing, right? Sometimes you're watching wrestling, and it does all these things that you know, if you've watched loads of it in your life, to be great. And often the fans making loads of noise helps that too. So this gets a huge response when Jungle Boy arrives. The way they shot it was amazing, because they weren't doing that wrestler running thing where somebody's going to trip and fall. They, like, they were sprinting through the crowd. Like, Christian was sprinting away. Jungle Boy was sprinting. It looked super convincing. Camera pulls right out, and it shows the size of that, like, section of fans where they were running through to make it realize that Christian's running for his life, and Jungle Boy's willing to give chase. The step aside was, like, the right level of pro wrestling dramatic, and you could see Christian slide away as soon as he realized, oh, God, I'm in trouble. So, you know, in that moment, Christian wasn't sure what Luchasaurus was going to do. So I'm watching all these things that years and years and years of watching have told me should be good, but I'm thinking, is this good? Like, and I think that sometimes when like a great match is happening and I'm not feeling, I'm like, is this good or not? And I still can't work out if it is or not. I think the pacing of it, as you identified, in terms of when they've done things, mm. and a couple of details have been left out or have been left too cold to make this feel like it registered in the way all the pieces should have fit together. I think I could have done with a deeper explanation on why Luchasaurus has been under Christian's power. Or, if not that, a kind of, well, Luchasaurus is with Christian for now, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's turned on Jungle Boy either. I guess we were showing that here mm, rather than being yeah. told. It, but I think I actually wanted to be told. I, I don't know if that means I'm too thick a wrestling fan or whatever. Uh, I'm glad Jungle Boy's back. I will say that. I'm glad he's back. That's where this yes. story needed to be. Um, I've already forgotten the name we came up with yesterday, but for the uh, cheap heat game, we've always... Cheap heat in my heels tonight, That's it. Babe. We've got... Uh, like Christian Cage just needs to form a tag team and then target Dax's daughter, doesn't he? So there's your, ne- there's your next one. Like, go around the locker room where you're looking for a heartbreaking story. Uh, yeah, there's one right there. So, like, it, like they've, they've lined one up for that for a future tag yeah. team match. But, yeah, it was it was all right. But another version of this I've seen a million times and I've seen it better. Yeah, this didn't do a great deal for me. I think they can recover it. I absolutely yeah. think they can oh, recover yeah. this. But Christian Cage getting high on being the, the guy who gets the most heat. It's kind of undone this focus of the, the singles conflict. He, he seems to hate everyone and is horrible as he's as horrible to everyone as he is to Jungle Boy. So it didn't feel like the babyface giving this arsehole the reckoning he deserves for the horrible personal slight because he's just been, you know, getting in in these promos. Um, I think everyone's confused by this Luchasaurus thing. Either he's had a change of heart or... He has said, you know what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to get myself a new black mask. New black, uh, my tongue. <laughs> Whatever it is, like paint, paint a little new black lally bap. <laughs> black jacks. Black jacks. Black jacks, my tongue. New, uh, give Mike Ruckus a little bell. Yeah. I need a new theme. Need, like, think of a think. So I need to get some black jacks to make my mouth all black. Need new mask. Uh, get the, the gear maker on the blower. Right, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I need to hang on because I need to talk to Ruckus now. Get Mike Ruckus, I need a new theme, right? And then, right, boom. Right, now, all of this will work provided that Tony Khan, in about three weeks, books a tag team match um, with me and Christian against, I don't know, 
Master Blondes, maybe. And then at the end of it, Jungle Boy's going to come back and I'm going to stand by his side. Didn't see that one coming, <laughs> did you? He's the cleverest motherfucker in the business. <laughs> and he's a dinosaur. <laughs> Master uh, strategy's dinosaur. Uh, what, what, what was this? Is this going to be a swerve as well? Like, is this like is the dinosaur also going to be like, oh well, like, like all of a sudden I was reminded of who my real best friend is, but then next week Christian's going to be like, no, remember that you stuck with me, and, and here's why. And is that like, is he actually going to attack Jungle Boy? Is that still to come? I don't care. Yeah, and we'll save it for Wednesday. Mm. Uh, Gun Club are backstage. I'll use that on Wednesday. I'm on holiday. <laughs> oh yeah, Gun Club are backstage, and uh, <laughs> Billy Gunn's all yo, listen. <laughs> I think he's so proud of himself. They all are such smug twats. Uh, they say, "Oh, why would we accept the offer of a match with the acclaimed? We we carried them for all this time, and now we've cut them out of our lives." And Austin Gunn says, "But I do want Max Caster." In a one-on-one rap battle on Rampage. And the winner will pick the stipulations. And then he drops some absolute straight fire. He goes, when, where, what? But I'm in a rut. And he goes, what's his sunglasses on? I'm already warmed up, dog. (laughs) Uh, That's kind of where I'm at with this. It's... Quite amusing as an undercard diversion. A lot of people like it way more than me, and I do not begrudge them. I don't think they're stupid. I don't think they've got bad taste. Just, this is great analysis. But for me, I've kind of got the, and then the bell rang. Mm. Like, they've taken, what, three months of this? It's not going to be that good. It really isn't going to be that good. They've got to wrap this up. It's just like, wrap things up quicker, Tony. Mm-hmm. Well, Does this need to go on for two months? Does this need to be a saga? I know when you say on the bell rang, you're referring to the eventual tag match, but I don't want the bell to ring, and I don't think they do either, and that's why we're getting a rap battle instead. I am genuinely going to be more entertained by a rap battle than a singles yeah, match. Yeah, yeah. Two. So in terms of delaying the tag match, one thing I got I, a relief, the, yeah, hang of relief. Exactly that, exactly that. Mm, Caster in a singles. Yes. Like, last one's in a singles, not Caster. Yeah. <laughs> it's a problem with uh, a great act that's not like in the ring. I mean, the bell will have to ring at some point. That's why it was helpful that we were with Billy Gunn. He's over. Like He's over. I don't need everything to be a five-star classic. Wrestling every now and then, and there's a reason why that this is always the timeline, and so it should be, and they're such a gift when you get these acts. I adore the acclaimed, as I adored Enzo and Cass. As I, I like them. I love them, and I would. they're an act for me that I would buy a ticket to see. They would be in like the top five of the people I want to see. The call and response of it all, the magic of when there's a perfect... Outlaws, Enzo and Cass, the acclaimed. That's the timeline. Perfect house show opening act, right? I, that's such a... They don't do house shows. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe. But, it, like, just in terms of that, that feeling... you are the only one who's got the problem. You're at that NXT house show. Yeah, my God. Enzo and Cass opening it up. And, oh, my God. Like, you just... When that's happening... Like, I don't know. We both went to shows in 1999. I didn't get the Outlaws had split by mine. Were they together at yours or not? I can't remember. I like, know that Billy Gunn was there because my sister was besotted with his uh, ass. <laughs> yeah. a lovely bum, Billy. <laughs> Badass Billy bum. Yeah, that's really but uh, my I sister's an absolute poor vault. <laughs> Just confused. Does Road Dog like AW right now or not? On one hand, he's. I'm just asking questions. Uh, I think you guys are a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you see this on Twitter? Nah. Oh, I did. I loved your tweet. Basically, Road Dog was like, "Gay, I ain't gonna lie. You look smooth AF." 
underneath a picture of Tony Khan. Yeah, I, no, I, I think we talked about it. Yeah, yeah. And clearly, no one's answered the phone. So it's just a news headline where I was like, Road Dog thinks it's evil and bad. And it's like, <laughs> like, it wasn't that, but it was just like two DCA. different things. I was like, Road Dog thinks this is bad and this is bad. And I'm like, yeah, because he can't want a job there. <laughs> I love his big pitch as well. His big pitch was like, um, and I would never listen to his podcast, right? Because we're the ones. But every now and then you hear an excerpt and something pops up on my Twitter feed. And um, this idiot, <laughs> this worm-brained idiot that is the Road Dog, Big pitch is so fantastic. Like, think about it. Like, think about what you're saying. Because if you want a job and be a carny, the whole point is you pretend fluidly that, oh, this is good now. Mm. Oh, that was rubbish then because I want this job with this company that values this sort of thing. Cody's wrestled everybody he wanted to in AEW. Have you? Because yeah. you haven't wrestled everybody I wanted you to wrestle, Cody. <laughs> you haven't wrestled Sting. That kind of thing. Road Dog's too thick to even do this. It's like, uh, so what do you like about AEW? Well, what would it change about AEW? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, gr- it's great. They're doing a lot of these things. Maybe they need a little help here. That's where I come in, guy. Yeah. But the, the overall, it's great, great. We would like to work there. So yeah, yeah, they need to do loads more disqualifications. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you stupid <laughs> That's what they've been saying since 2019 that they really don't want to do. So imagine that's your big pitch. It's like going to like, um, I don't know, right, the vegan shop yeah. down the road. It's like, all oh, right, okay, well, we need, like, um, some ideas for products, right? So what have you got? <laughs> I think you should start doing meat. <laughs> it's like, well, you're not qualified. It's absolutely not what we want to start doing. So thank you. Good luck. And uh, we won't keep your CV on fire, actually. <laughs> That's a literal, a literal Vince Russo move, isn't it? Like, the Vince McMahon on television. I'm sick of this invasion crap. Gets yeah. it out of the way. Buries WCW. Brings Vince Russo in as a, like, sort of a potential writer again. It's basically a job interview, you know, as a pitch. Early 2002. Vince, you need to get those other WCW guys. You need to do a second invasion. They'll never see you coming. I heard of this guy called Bukati. <laughs> he, he's really good. He's really good. Uh, There's a guy called Buff. He is the in stuff. There's a guy called Bukati. And here's what you should do. You should get Bischoff, who's the GM, to hire him and say, I can vouch for him. He was in a WCW and, you know, he can, you know. And I, so the plan is that he's going to secretly assemble the WCW roster in plain sight, okay? <laughs> so have you heard of this, Booker T? Uh, yes, Vince Russo, because we've hired him already for a year. <laughs> and like, he got laughed out of the meeting. He got laughed out of the meeting. Um, well, hey, Giant Baba, uh, 90s All Japan's <laughs> great. You know what it needs? A clown. <laughs> <laughs> You pieces of shit. It's a disqualification. Uh, one final thing before we move on. Uh, do you know what this noise is? You know what that is? That's the final nail in the coffin of Road Dogs podcast because I'm bringing back the Rampage rap this week. We're going to do a rap battle and you're going off on holiday. You'll send off. You're getting your big present. I'm bringing back the Rampage time. rap for one week. I heard Adam Wilborn doing another rap. <laughs> I am gonna, I'm gonna write, start writing it now, so you know by tomorrow morning it is gonna be straight fire. All uh, right, FTW Championship. <laughs> so you made the rap battle a triple threat then. So they're gonna have their two on rampage, yeah. but they're effectively gonna be well, responsible. Game, game's gonna be over before the t- yeah. before it even started. They're in trouble. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> right, Ricky Starks uh, versus. Hey, it's me, Cole Carter. Uh, next, for the FDW <laughs> Championship, uh, Starks dominated mostly in the crowd, did not like it when Cole Carter got in any offense. Uh, but he did get a two count off a rising knee, dodged a spear, hit a TKO, went up top, uh, but missed a 450 splash, and then Starks spears him for the one, two, three. And Starks, sweaty, breathless. 
Guess on the mic uh, post-match says, hey, i got a lot more in the tank. Uh, let's have another challenge out there. And then, then as Danhausen, uh, and that's not even the best impression of him here. Danhausen comes out and accepts, and Stocks goes like, whoa, 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 I didn't say right now. Next week, I'll fight you for the FTW Championship. And he absolutely mwah, nailed the Danhausen impression. Unbelievable Danhausen voice, unbelievable everything else, quite honestly. I wouldn't normally advocate for jamming another match on the Dynamite when already a lot of things don't feel like they've got enough time to breathe. Especially but, when they're impromptu. But this was an example of... Good booking, I think, because it was reactive to something that is clearly going on, which is the movement behind Starks and Hobson, specifically Ricky Starks. Striking while the iron's hot, rather than which is something we've seen in AW loads, which is somebody getting really hot, somebody you want to see more and more and more, and then Tony Khan's like, well, the way I do it is, uh, see you in six weeks, pal. Like, you've had your little run, you don't get two. That's that's what happens to so many wrestlers. They have their go, and then mm. backburnered for ages. They're not doing that with Ricky Starks. That's great. He's had this... Like, tag team match, which itself was off the back of other matches and promos where everybody's like, Ricky Starks, Ricky Starks, Ricky Starks. He's lost, but immediately he's rebuilt by a quick win, and now he's used that quick win to build to a match that might not be, like, that great in-ring-wise. Could be, but might not be that great, but it will absolutely be talked about because it's Dan Housen and he's always in the conversation. Yeah. So I really quite liked how this played out. Again, there might be an element where I'm more tolerant of the impromptu nature of it, but sometimes it's like... It didn't happen, ultimately. It's hmm. Yeah, it's still... The sort of thing where, well, this is a guy that should be featured, and up until 24 hours ago, he wasn't. And, and Taz I, is getting a little bit pissed off with him doing these open challenges and stuff on commentary as well. And, sorry, as well, just quickly, I don't know if this is an association or not anymore, but that does sort of drag Ricky Starks a little bit closer to Hook, doesn't it? Because Hook and Dan Howes haven't formally broke apart. AEW yeah. AW just been like, that sucked. And they've just <laughs> not put them together. But theoretically, there's, you know, these allies in AEW, they're, they're there, and you're there to forget about them sometimes. I think a big shock angle's coming. Seriously. Um, if you go back and watch The Road 2 this week, Ricky Starks cutting an absolutely incredible babyface promo, right? He's saying things to the effect of, I just will not give up. I'm just not going to do it. I, I'll train harder, come back stronger, and all the rest of it. Hobbs kind of slaps him on the chest and says something to the effect of, it's okay, and gives him a look. And for literally two seconds, it's so subtle. Starks looks a little bit like, are we still on the same page mm. or what have you just said? And I think that the FTW title is key here. He's so desperate to win a title, right? Which is another thread because, like, Taz is going to think, you've already got one. Like, you've already got one. It means more to me than you, obviously, and there will be a price to pay for that. So what he's doing now as part of this character is he's now overcompensating for his failure, stretching himself thin by asking for a second match, right? Which didn't happen, so I will forgive it. It's mm -hmm. one thing for the wrestler to say, I'll fight you right now, when they're in hot-blooded in the moment. It's another thing for Tony Khan to actually sanction it. So that's absolutely fine, actually. But his willingness to go, right, again, keep them coming, rack them up. I want to, you know, do, I'll do four defenses in one night. I'm so desperate to be considered a champion. In doing so, right, he could potentially lose his FTW title and Hobson Starks could break up. I'm very conflicted about this because I would give them the tag team titles before you do anything of that nature. But that raw feeling of don't break up an act when they're this hot, but kind of do it because that's when it feels the yes. most palpable and emotional. And I think that's where they're going. I really do think mm. that's where they're going. Danhausen wins the belt. Hobbs comes out and Starks thinks, well, we're going to have to deck him now. But then Taz is on commentary and he grabs the, uh, grabs the microphone and he says, very nice, very f***ing evil. <laughs> and Danhausen and Hobbs jump Starks. And Danhausen's relationship with Hook is what dragged him into Team Taz. 
Uh, I could not You're believe... You're giving them a lot of work Sorry, to do yeah, here. Yeah. I cannot believe what came next. So, before we get to the... It's your first ever podcast C-bomb today. Incredible. <laughs> I've done it before. Have you? Incredible. <laughs> before we get to the... I only did it once. <laughs> I only did it once today. And it was justified, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah. Um, before we get to the incredible Dax Harwood promo... I'm never wrong. I've <laughs> <laughs> never learned this by now, Hamlet. Um... Chris Statlander, Athena, and Willow Nightingale are backstage. And you know, I love AEW. I just wish they wouldn't book matches and then, you know, change them during the show. Like, SmackDown, you're like, right, okay, I know what I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been announced that uh, Chris Statlander's not in the match. It's a tag match now. Athena and Willow Nightingale are going to do it. And uh, it's been changed. Chris Statlander's been told to, to, to not get involved in it. At Stokely Hathaway's request. And she goes, come on, we all know why. And then she slapped her head, uh, and I literally I, I went, oh, like that. I said to Andy, you know, we're watching this early, early hours of, of, of Thursday morning. And I genuinely went, did I just, like, black out for a second there? What, like, you know, like you, you listen to some music or something, and you mm. fall asleep, and it sort of goes, you have weird dreams about it. I was like, but rewind that. Let's just see. Yep, a, a Simon Miller homage from Chris, Chris Statland. Incredible. Uh, anyway, Athena says, oh, I think the world title looked good round your waist, Stat, and the, the TBS title looked good round mine. And Stat's a little bit like, mm, I quite like the TBS, to be honest. But, you know, regardless, only Willow Nightingale can get away with going, come on, guys, put our hands in and say, let's go crush some baddies. And I was like, yeah, because I just love Willow Nightingale. But I couldn't get over the, the Simon Miller reference. It was really cool. It was awesome, a, that. It was really cool. You know what isn't? The implied threat that Chris Statler is going to turn heel. Mm. Mm. A month and a half after she got really, really over as a baby face and was barely used since and very inferior performance, got like three matches on Dynamite subsequent to that because Tony Khan's entire approach to booking this women's division is wrong. <laughs> Thank just, you for that. Just can't bloody get along. Uh, right, FTR cut a promo <laughs> next. <laughs> they got quite a good reaction. I think it's fair to say FTR. I think it might be over. Um, How is the new glass smash? The one like the Donhausen one was when you realise, wasn't it? Like, Jesus Christ, that's an attitude era sting. That's a road warrior. Yeah. Unbelievable. So Cash talks about how FTR went to war with the Briscoes at Supercard of Honor. They respect them. They're going to go again, obviously, on Saturday. Two out of three falls, is it, on Saturday? And probably going to go on last as well, isn't it? Nothing's going to follow it. Yeah. Um, but they're not going to take away what they've worked. Uh, so not going to take away what they've worked so hard for, basically. And then Dax Harwood, man, uh, he tells a story of a, a little girl who had a. It was discovered had a hole in her heart, and she uh, she, she was five years. years old. She was five years old, and three years later, after she you know, worked so hard, they went for another test, and they found out that the hole had closed. He said that girl worked her ass off to get better, and he revealed that girl is my daughter. Oh, man, yeah, it's just incredible, this. And he said, if she can work that hard, then I need to work just as hard, if not harder, to, to bring home these championships, to, to make this legacy, something she can be proud of. On Saturday, I'm going to fight like an eight-year-old girl. Top guys out. Incredible. One of the best promos of the year. Yeah. And like, wow, there's no better than a wrestler on form. There is no better than a wrestler on form. I was listening to um, God's Head and Giorgio Marauder on the, <laughs> on the commute to work for those, uh, for those exact reasons. Um, this was proper. I What's behind you, Will Bourne, in the studio? A 
brick wall. I want to run through it for Dax Harwood. This is proper, like, fist in the air, end of breakfast club. I want this guy to win the wrestling match stuff. Yeah. yeah. Perfection. Beautifully progressive. Absolutely beautifully progressive. I don't care if you call me a soy boy cook asshole. <laughs> this was just, oh, this is everything about this was absolutely lush. And they put the matches together. This baby face turn that makes Tony Khan still a genius because he would have ever thought this literally except him. He did it and it's perfect. And they're now adding the, they've always been good convincing promos. Not like Kingston, MGF, Punk, Mox, tier, no. but like believable and good. That This is, that was poetry. Yeah, stunning, stunning stuff. I don't know how long um, Dax has had this in his locker, or if like there's like obviously the improvement of his daughter's health is is, re- yeah. is recent and is thus in the front of his mind. But however long he's had this, it's a big moment where if you're going to add some reality and you know that there's a kind of there's a mo- like the fight like a girl is like a money line element of a real life story. By the way, this is the difference between how you deploy something serious in your real life and what WWE have done with Lacey Evans. They've just mined her difficult existence for something awful and trite and nonsense, and this is the perfect example of how to do it. Um, yesterday. I didn't get it. Trite? I'm doing it too early. What's that? It was trite yesterday. Trite. Uh, does a super wordle, doesn't he? Was it? I, I, yeah, I don't do wordle, sorry. <laughs> just just quote a few. <laughs> just, just a uh, two cars hamflet here. <laughs> I need to make it very clear that's not true, by the way. I don't know, Andy Murray. Before we discuss this. Sounds like an Andy Murray false narrative. Like we've, we've got one car and I'd have zero if I could get away with it. It's only my two stupid kids. I've done this bit before, but I, it was funny, so I'm going to do it again. Uh, Hamford, what car have you got? Uh, Ford C Max. I've got a Ford B Max. <laughs> 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 I've got 104 friends. <laughs> oh, what was the thing I was trying to be earnest about with Dax? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was uh, like, you're going to deploy this story this morning, like got to do it at the right time. What if you throw this away on an angle that nobody really cares about or a match that doesn't live up to the expectations? Obviously, it's a big... They're setting the expectations high, but with good reason. Uh, this was perfect. This was absolutely perfect and just such a tonic to months and months and months of the dreadful verbiage sprouted, sprouted in the Men of the Year, Ty Conti, Sammy <laughs> Guevara stuff. Like, AEW really needed something to counter all of that and finally we got it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, amazing, amazing stuff, this. Uh, Jay Lethal, uh, Sanjay Duck, Satnam Singer backstage. Lethal still moaning about Samoa Joe not turning up to work. Uh, and he's going to, uh, he's not defending the TV title. So he's going to take it off him. In comes Christopher Daniels. Uh, and they're going to fight Lethal and Christopher Daniels on Rampage, which we will preview on Friday. Mm-hmm. It's the little critic in there, The Simpsons, that goes mad. It's just me whenever like you see like the likes of Daniels versus Jay Lethal. It stinks. It stinks. Uh, it's, that's all I can feel. I know what you mean. Called. Yeah, you know that guy. He might have just been called the critic. He was. That was in his own yeah, show. Yeah, he was yeah. the critic, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm just looking at that. I'm like, it stinks. Yes, Mr. Hamflet, everything stinks. I was like, no, this really stinks. <laughs> Satnam Singh is the star of this group, and he's still at the fucking back. Um, AW recognising what everyone will be Googling this week. Got Max's brother, Jermaine Dupri, uh, <laughs> there with Jade Cargill and uh, Kira Hogan post-match, uh, pre-match. Stokely Hathaway explains that Layla Gay couldn't complete, uh, but don't worry, uh, Jade says her and, and Kira Hogan are going to take care of business and they're taking on uh, Athena and Willow Nightingale. Uh, Hogan and Athena start out nice back and forth between them two. Willow comes in cross-body for a two-count. Uh, a knee from Jade on the outside distracts Athena. 
But she and Willow recover. Uh, Willow hits a double blockbuster out on the floor, and then Athena uh, does a big crossbody to the outside to take us to a break. Uh, when we co- uh, During the commercial, Jaden Hogan kind of take over and beat down Athena. Uh, Willow gets the hot tag when we come back. Spinebuster on Hogan. Jade comes in to break up the pin. Jade faces off with Athena, and they trade forearms. Uh, Jade gets the better of the exchange with a kick. Catches a dive. Fall away slam. Jade does her kip up. Athena does the same to surprise her. If I don't mention it now, I will forget to mention it. The clip that has done the rounds uh, all, all day so far on Twitter. I'm a bitch. I'm the bitch. Jim Ross doing his impression of Jade Cargill. Spectacular. Woba loba. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to put him over. He's pissing me off. Uh, Athena hits Jade with double knees, power bombs Hogan on the apron, and then Stokely gets in Athena's face, and that distraction allows Jade to boot Athena into the steel steps. Jade tags in back in the ring. Willow cradles her for a two count, but then Jade hits her with a blue thunder bomb for a near fall, and then Jaded for the one, two, Three. Curious results because um, by association, with it, which is how these trios matches kind of work, it doesn't really make sense, but it kind of does. You just accept it. By association, Statlander and Athena were like not considered like genuine contenders to the CBS title. Whereas if one of them beat one of Jade Cargill's mates, then there would have been. It's weird how that works, but it, that is how it works. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work here as a result. Um, look, this match, give me Jade Cargill and Athena. Their chemistry physically was great. Their ability to, like, slow it down and to sort of register what they were doing to get the crowd, like, really into the idea that, yes, what they are actually doing physically is great, which is, like, really well blocked and performed. And I saw everything they did was magic. And I don't want to single out someone for criticism, particularly when they're not that ready for the TV stage, but everything involving Kira Hogan in this match was pretty dreadful, if I'm being perfectly honest. Like, there was a bit where I think she tried to post herself back for a apron powerbomb far too early, and Athena had to literally lift her up and do it again. Yeah. It was just dismal. And there was a bit where I think she got lost, where Athena was in the ropes, and she was going to do a run, and then she was got there too early, and it was just fake-looking, yeah. sloppy, yeah. jalopy mess. And um, the result was curious because, again, by association, they don't look like they're anywhere near... They can't even be Jade Cargill's maid. How can they be anywhere near Jade Cargill? And regrettably, because I think she's got a lot of promise and a lot of personality, because Jade Cargill's maid didn't really perform very well in this match, it just sort of compounded that issue. This is all just very odd for me. Yeah, I think it's hard not to highlight Kira Hogan because of the circumstances in the match. Like, Athena and Jade Cargill's chemistry was excellent. Uh, Willow Nightingale... Is, is not only good, but has this, like, infectious charisma that yeah. kind of has her... When you watch her, she kind of sort of mentally leapfrogs a bunch of the AEW rank and file because you sort of watch her and you think, oh, actually, you should be probably further up this card than just being the, the other wrestler's tag team partner. So I think by default, you were kind of, like, almost instructed to look at some of Hogan's failings because the other three were... Like, this was a half-decent match, but you lift out Hogan, you put in somebody else, it was obvious that it would have been even yeah. better, which is unfortunate for her. But yeah, that's, I guess that's criticism in the interest of balance because we see this in on NXT 2.0 all the time. When that's a developmental brand, then you're like, well, hang on, it's also on the television, so you've got to try and be both. And if she's developing on television and it goes wrong, tough. It's, it's on television. You're there to be watched and viewed and taken seriously. And um, what what night was this, uh, Sige? Uh this night? Yeah. Well, this is late as nine. I'm thinking no word in me. Yeah. Right. Who's got the... Uh, did anyone... S- what's, the, what's that very... Adam hel- Blair, I think. The very helpful gentleman, yes. Oh, his name I clearly 
Forgot entirely. Um, just for any new listeners, uh, Ladies Night on is a game, a silly little game that we play, and that is designed to poke fun at AEW's insistence on just cramming all the bloody birds together in one segment <laughs> of television and to shine a light on how predictable and genuinely not cool it is every single week we play a game. Again, just if you missed it, entitled This is Ladies Night, I'm thinking Ooh, what it move. about when you're going to hear the first bit of the uh, the first women's wrestler entrance music. So I went for this lead is nine. I'm thinking <laughs> I went one hour, 14 minutes and four seconds. Adam Wilborn went one hour, 15 minutes and 36 seconds. And a wild guess, <laughs> Michael Hamflit went for one hour, 10 minutes and knee seconds. I'm guilty of thinking that they would make loads more effort with the main event. That is all I'm guilty yeah. of. Yeah, it's a fair point, because I was looking at the time going, they've still got to do the women's match and they've got stuff to... To be fair, Hamflit's thinking of, well, I have to make it really important for the men. Yes. Somehow undid it. That's AEW brain. But I'm pleased to say that, unfortunately, while Sidious' streak has ended, another streak continues, and that's Michael Havlin not getting this right ever. Uh, I got it. It was one hour, 22 minutes, 19 seconds. Thank you to Adam Blair. Uh, I'm the one, because if it wasn't for my wife, I would be all alone. (laughs) But we called it as well on the preview. We say normally there's a match, and then they go... Ladies' night, so let's get a Jay Cargill promo in. But Jay Cargill's wrestling, so what are we going to do? Uh, Britt Baker promo. Yeah. Well, Thunderstorm, technically. Uh, Thunder Rosa is going to defend her title against Miu Yamashita next week, who she who defeated her uh, previously. Uh, and they talk about how, yes, Yamashita is the best, but Rose is still going to win. In comes Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter, and she says, oh, we're all tired of your promos. What we need is more of us. And so we're going to be fighting on Rampage. Yeah, I didn't... I like the... Th- the thunderstorm sandbag thing last week was just class, but even then it was like for the second consecutive week, thunderstorm have just stood there looking like pitiful, feckless geeks as Britt Baker has buried their promo ability, their like really silly name, and their um, unprofessional conduct, mm. right? And they just stood there and went, oh, "God." Shut up, Brit. <laughs> <laughs> Kick her ass, for God's yeah. sake, you stupid losers. It's made even worse by the fact that they've got to sit there being really giddily excited about Thunder, have, Thunder Rosa having a rematch of a match she's just lost. Like, ee, I cannot wait to possibly get beat again. And lose this title. Yeah, it's such a straight and eye. Guess what as well? Thunder Rosa kind of sucks as a promo. When she gets fired up and comfy, mm. oh, fired yeah. up and comfy, Thunder Rosa rules. When she's visibly uncomfortable, it's a mess. And this material wouldn't make you feel comfortable, would it? No. Like having to react to just getting bantered off the face of the earth once a week. Agreed. It's not exactly like the best material, is it? Shut up, Brid. <laughs> Shut up, your pubes. Shut up, your pube. Uh, and then we watched <laughs> Excalibur nearly die, having to run through not only Fight for the Fallen, the two title matches there, but also, obviously, Rampage coming on Friday, and the entire Death Before Dishonor lineup, which I just remembered features Dalton Castle and the boys. Yeah. I mean, yeah, fighting for the uh, six-man tag team. They sound good, they do, actually. <laughs> uh, and Willow Nightingale's wrestling now. That that reminds me, the graphic, when Excalibur's running through Rampage, just to, like, heap more sh- on uh, Thunderstorm, was Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter in action. It's not even that tag match, is it? That promo existed for them to promote that Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter yeah, were having yeah. a tag match. It's not even for the babyfaces yeah. to get... Like, yeah, it's a not a, They're not going to get the win before Thunder Rosa's title match. It's just, uh, 
can we uh, have you there so the heels can interrupt you and put themselves over? I'm the frigging champion of this yeah. division. <laughs> anyway, main event time. Uh, Jericho <laughs> rises up through the floor in full pain maker get up. Uh, and we see the Jericho appreciations that he's getting put in the shark cage. Um, it's barbed wire everywhere. Well, not everywhere, but, you know, a lot of places. Uh, not on the ropes that are facing the camera, but and all in the corners. But there's some, there's some barbed wire. Um, and uh, we see that Ruby Soho is in control of the shark cage. And, uh, yeah, there's barbed wire around the ropes and around tables and around the ring bell and around the microphone that Justin Roberts is using. Uh, who is introducing Eddie Kingston. And I think we've all said in the highlight of the match, Kingston just walks in and goes, give me that. It's immediately just nails Jericho with it, stabs him with it, busts him open. Uh, they go to the outside. Jericho gets the ring bell that's been wrapped in barbed wire and clocks Kingston with it. Uh, Jericho gets chucked into the barbed wire ropes and hit with a barbed wire chair by Kingston, but he gets the upper hand by throwing Kingston uh, into a barbed wire table. Um during commercial, oh, I forgot to talk about Ricky Starks during commercial. During his match, dancing along the top rope, which was amazing. Anyway, oh, great. Anyway, during commercial here, Jericho he ran into the corner to just accept the pop as well because we, he knew he was in the ad break. Just very quickly, because I know this is going long enough as it is, but we didn't really talk about the Starks. What's his name? Cole Carter. Yeah, that match wasn't good. They gave far too much to the opponent, and he is not very composed. Athletic, but not very composed. Carry on. Yes. So during commercial of the main event, uh, Jericho puts Kingston in the walls of Jericho on the barbed wire, which looks like it absolutely sucks. Um, it was sticking to everyone, and that just ugh, just goes through me. Um, I've just remembered something as well, because I wrote this down in one of the few highlights of this match. Um, where are we? So we come back from the break. Kingston whips Jericho into the barbed wire and crotches him over the ropes, and Taz says, sliced up Yambag City right there. <laughs> Uh, then he suplexes Jericho through a barbed wire table at ringside. Down comes Tay Conti to attack Ruby Soho and try and get the, the boys out of the shark cage. And Anna Jay runs down and stops her uh, and pauses for a moment and goes, that's not how you kick someone's ass. This is, and just batters uh, Ruby Soho. Turns heel, turns on Ruby Soho, sends her into the ring post, uh, gets the controls, lowers the shark cage. It all falls to pieces as, the, as Tay tries to use the key to unlock it and... One of the smart lads in JAS just realizes, oh, we can just get through the side of the cages. And they just get out, run down to the ring, beat up Kingston, who's trying to do a pinfall. But because of the distraction of that, we don't even know that's going on. We don't even hear a count or anything. Down comes uh, Moxley, Ortiz, Claudio Castagnoli to fight with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Kingston, in the midst of all this, hits an exploded suplex through a barbed wire table for a near fall. Jericho panics, hits uh, Kingston with a code breaker, but the chair drops in his face and almost bloody blinds him in all this. He uh, repeatedly hits Kingston with the chair, goes to the lion's salt, but Kingston hoys the chair into his face. Kingston hits the uh, Urican backfist for a, a decent near fall, pulls out barbed wire from under the ring uh, and puts it around Jericho and puts him in the stretch plum. All of us, I assume, thought, well, this is the finish, but no... In comes Sammy Guevara, super kinks Eddie Kingston. Jericho wraps his arm in barbed wire, hits him with the Judas effect, and gets the one, two, three. But post-match, this feud must continue. Jericho and Guevara want more of an attack, and it all again falls to pieces. Guevara's holding Kingston up, and Jericho's going to go to hit him with the, the barbed wire. But I think what was meant to happen was Kingston was meant to, you know, like mule kick Guevara, 
Jericho was going to maybe accidentally hit him or just run, just miss everyone, and Kingston's meant to spin him back fist Guevara. It, that does not happen. <laughs> Regardless, Jericho gets chucked by Eddie Kingston into the barbed wire like spider web on the outside, and he's writhing around in pain to end the show. He was, uh, as Andy was telling me, stretching out following all this. But this does not go as planned in many ways. Oh, I thought this was a complete load of utter bollocks. And I was rolling my eyes furiously throughout. And I was just actively hating it by the end. I had significant multiple problems with this match. But I will put over some of it. So bear with me, right? Barbed wire everywhere, right? Made it just wacky. Far too wacky. Oh, Justin Roberts has got this weapon. I'm meant to be interpreting is this horrific flesh-ripping thing that you should be deathly afraid of actually hitting you. A weapon so bloody powerful and scary and violent that it's the one thing that Eddie Kingston wants to pierce Chris Jericho's uh, skin with after literally seven months of their blood feud, right? And Justin Roberts has gone in his hand. Yes, I know, it informed the pretty cool, witty Eddie Kingston spot, but I don't think the spot was so good that it justified the wacky gimmick, shark cage, just barbed wire everywhere. <laughs> and not, not to interrupt, but I thought that was the only artful use of it in the whole match. <laughs> like, on it, like, it's... like, I liked it, but was it worth... Probably not. Was no. it worth trivializing yeah. Yeah. The, the weapon? No. Like, I don't think so. Like, I personally didn't think so. It wrapped around the ring bell, like... Someone who doesn't have any part of the violence has got to sort of gently, in theory, gently kind of like not get their hands hurt. What was the point? What was the point? Just use the wire on the ropes and make a really minimalist, great match around the suspense of potentially getting pierced by this awful weapon. So I thought it was just excessive and altogether far too cute from the very start. Then there were five minutes that I thought were really good. like Not like great, where I'm really into it, but good. There was a bit where Kingston got trapped, oh. and he was like selling it as if he was like bricking it, really, really scared. And I thought, that's great, because you know exactly what you're doing, and you're fantastic. Yeah. Some of the bombs were good, like the suplexes, and the, the, the Lion Tamer spot was all very good. Then the second that Take Huntley came to the ring, all of it was complete and utter shambolic and nonsense and sports entertainment. AEW at this point, right, with the the big, the whole thing was, AEW was, Jim Crocker Promotions was better, right? And we've had to suffer through 21 years of the Monopoly, so let's just do more Crockett stuff. But on telly and Nitro, they treat cages like WWE treat cages, and I'm sorry, but it's completely artless nonsense that doesn't differentiate as competition, doesn't tell good stories, and it's just a load of rubbish. So the second that... They yeah. lowered the shark cage. Someone pointed this out on Twitter to me. I was too busy furious about other things. <laughs> Why was Ruby Soho tasked with that? Yeah. Why? When she's literally been assaulted two weeks ago and that could feasibly happen again. It's just going to completely undo the stipulation. Um, of course, this happens. It's AEW. It's completely overbooked at its worst. She tries to do the lock. As I said yesterday, these props are terrible and their continued use of them often goes awry. It did here. Look, they could squeeze through the bars. They were not going to do that when they were suspended in the air. No, that's, so that's fine. So that's fine, right? So that was like, it's a good job bars were that big. But then they come to the ring, and, and immediately I'm thinking, oh, you've overbooked it, you've overbooked it. You were just building something really nice, attritional, worthy of a seven-year payoff, right? And then there's the post-match brawl, the likes of which you see 
or like an intra-match brawl in this mm. case, the likes of which you see post-match virtually every single week. So I just, I'm watching a player of people. I don't, I don't see anyone get hurt. I don't see any hatred. I don't feel any emotion. I just see a thing to happen, a thing that is happening in front of me. And as the uh, JAS are going to the ring, it's like, well, I know the odds will be equal. And I'm thinking, I hate this. I hate this. Just focus on the conflict. I've spent seven months of my life at, it at this point. At least give me a payoff. That's just them. And I'm thinking the only way I can possibly justify this, and they can possibly justify this, is, oh, we've got Danielson back. And we're going to do some really cool stuff with Danielson. I'm thinking, I'm waiting for Danielson to excuse this. Danielson doesn't come. Nothing's excused. It's just another overbooked schmoz. And then they did, like, get me biting on the drama with the the Urican and um, the Stretch Plum. Like, but in doing that moment of drama... You've kicked out of his finish and you've beat him in his redemption. I can win the big one feud all at once. This was corny, horrific from Jericho. So the, the bits were dramatic. They were. But by that point, I was already, right, I'm removed. I'm curious as to, I wasn't like deeply, deeply invested, but I did get caught. Overbooked nonsense. The, the whole setting was just so wacky and frivolous. And it just didn't feel like, you know, the FMW tapes. And, like, the the stills used to get. It just felt like such a wacky Americanized TV version of that. So I didn't like the aesthetic or the atmosphere to begin with. And then you get the complete botch job at the finish. And then, oh, Eddie Kingston's lost a few. But he gets to um, give Chris Jericho a bump on, like, what, four strands of barbed wire? The one he took earlier in the match against the ropes that did have barbed wire everywhere on them looked way worse than that. It just looked like um, a hollow optics crash pad in Jericho's carny head, this is a big stunt that makes him look cool. It's like, didn't I do well taking that bump? That was actually my idea. That's probably what he's going to say on talk is Jericho. But that was meant to be the thing that Kingston got his heat back. This was nonsense. I hated it so much. And the thing with that big spot at the finish, which if anything, Jericho kind of looks like a badass for taking that bump because he knows the meta level on which all of this works. It was neither nout nor something, mm -hmm. right? Either this feud must continue. Why? You've already said it's the final saga. And where do you go from here? Or they are strengthening Jericho, thinking that we might not get Punk, so Jericho Moxley's going to be the all-out match is the sort of the backup. Why? Seven months for that. Seven months for that. Spill them in a different way and give Eddie this because it's been seven months in the making, right? So that's horrific. Short-term thinking that's ruined seven months, basically. I know they've had our anarchy, on the, anarchy in the arena in the Revolution match, and... Once this doesn't feel as raw, I'll enjoy this as an uneven feud. For now, I'm thinking of it as a goddamn disaster, right? So one of two things is happening. Either Jericho's won this feud because they need a um, alternate for CM Punk at All Out, and they don't think Kingston is good enough to headline it. It doesn't make sense because Moxley's the interim champion. Or if this is, in fact, a must-continue angle, one, they've already said it's the final chapter in the saga last week. Two, this was so rubbish that the appetite has been diminished for it. Three, if this was the final, oh my God, heel twist, and now I really want Eddie Kingston to come back and finally win it in a month or something, right? If this was the big heat angle before the ultimate triumph for the baby phase, Chris Jericho got the heat for all of five seconds because then he had to take this bump that looked cool. But what, are, what I'm saying here, as succinct a way as I can, is... If it continues, it's bad. If this was the end, it's even worse. It's an atrocity, in fact. I hated this. Five minutes were excellent, but who cares? 
I didn't even really like those five minutes just because the match wasn't for me. The, the more artless and trashy this got, the more nervous I got around Sorry, Chris Jericho being... They barely went into the barbed wire and was like, Jesus Christ, I can't touch that. Yeah. So when it informs the moment where they do touch it, it's like, oh my God, that looks horrific. They didn't even do that. No, there was no teasing or anything like that. I, I just, I thought this match was so undercooked in terms of like how much thought that had been applied to it. Like these things exist, barbed wire everywhere. You know, Shark Hit, it, they exist to, in good wrestling companies, and AW is one, to invite you to think about things. And I'm not asking for them to do all our fantasy booking, right? But if anything, what they do is they invite us to fantasy book and then they do something better. This was neither that nor that because they didn't do anything approaching our any of our fantasy booking, or for that matter, anybody else's. There would have been loads of speculation of all the fun that you could have with it. And that's why I like the microphone spot because I think it was the only thing that even approached what people would have thought about for this match. And yeah, the more artless this got the more nervous I became that Chris Jericho was winning because he's going to be a title contender. I was thinking about com- totally different and unrelated things to the fact that these men were trying to hurt each other and kill each other because it was a culmination of a long feud. My favourite thing, in the, the two things I liked about this match were the occasional, and the WWE things, like, so the, the things I like about WWE that were happening on AEW show, right, was the shot every now and then of the shark cage and the JAS having to watch Jericho in this great shot of Hager shouting through at one point. Like really like the visual. It's WWE production back when they could produce, you know, like Kevin Dunn at its peak rather than what he is now. So I like that. Um, And I genuinely liked the, I I like the intent of the Ty Conti, Anna Jay stuff. So last week, they're friends. Too bloody much. They're friends and it's never been acknowledged why they're not speaking to each other anymore other than she's gone and got a bloody boyfriend and that's what she's defined by now. So they bring that back to life. And then the week that they decided to pay off is Anna Jay's hometown. We know that AEW services its baby faces in their hometown. So yeah, here she comes to make the big save. The turn should resonate. All of that on paper makes so much sense. That's how they do it, and it's that's there to resonate. But wrapped in amongst all this other stuff, nothing resonates. So this genuinely good idea that they've tried to put the work into just a little bit doesn't land because before, like, Anna Jay turned, and then 15 more things happened. Yeah. So how can the turn possibly matter that much like 24 hours later. That's ba- that's basics as well. That's, that, that's on the forums. Booking 101, Tony. You know, like, he said that when he was a forum poster and he's just done it himself. So that was a shame. Uh, I felt less for Kingston. His face, I'll put this on Twitter already. His face was the Undertaker after Goldberg because he knows, because he's got pride in his work and he's done a lot of things that are really good. So he knows the difference between good and bad. I feel like what we were watching was maybe some messy political discussions backstage manifested in the form of a, a, yep. a carny brawl in front of the cameras, you know, which is more WCW than WWE because the one thing about WWE's gross autocracy is that nobody ever really gets to get, yeah. a, get a word in. You know, so you would see things like this as a result. So I've got uh, feelings about some of the ugliness here taking place in spite of what at least one of the wrestlers wanted to do. What a disappointing shame of a thing this was. <laughs> Seven months. They have four key matches in this saga rivalry, right? Eddie Kingston wins a singles match. Chris Jericho wins a singles match. Jericho Appreciation Society win a big gimmick match brawl. Eddie Kingston et al. win a big... The 50-50 it. They've literally 50-50'd a seven-month program at the end of which, and I'm convinced this was the end because if this was the big heat angle, I think they should have really luxuriated in the idea of, oh, Eddie's been screwed. And he got his, he got his little... Uh, Measure of revenge at the end with this bump that, if anything, as I've just said, Chris Jericho looks kind of cooler for taking that bump. The bump looked crap as well. I think you're right. I think it is the end because Excalibur's there going, well, he said he was going to make him bleed and look at him bleed now. Blah, it was blah, the blah. end. That yeah. was the end. I don't I think it's must continue. I think it was... Uh, <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. Seven months of this, right, to make Chris Jericho an alternate. Potentially pathetic. Well, I think this is it, right, as well. Just, I'm feeling particularly negative on it today, and I, I won't feel this emotionally attached tomorrow. I know I won't, but Jericho potentially being lined up as the challenger for Moxley at All Out, and that's why he's won this. Let's say that's why all of these things have happened. Um, is an indictment on AEW on a macro level because AEW is the place that makes as many stars as it possibly can. It tries so hard to make stars that often a load of matches on Dynamite mean nothing because you've got to protect the stars at all costs, right? So now you've done all that, you've made all the stars, and then you look at, oh, we've got loads of injuries and we need somebody from Oxley. Jericho. Like, what about all the stars that you're making all yeah. the fucking time? And they had someone who used to be a former champion and is annoyed and, and didn't get a rematch with the champion and the champion met out for injury after he beat him, but, you know. You know, and, and there's like... He's guy, busy on Rampage, apparently. Th- but there's there's loads. That's the whole point of AW yeah. is there should be loads. Like, oh, no, an injury crisis. Well, that's okay because it's yeah. not WWE. The we're roster not, was too big two weeks ago. Yeah, we're not, we're not going back to Reigns-Lesnar because we've got 10 other opportunities and they've gone Jericho. If, that, if that's why all that's happened for that, that's an indictment on them as well. We've gone super long, but we did promise something on the preview yesterday, so, and it'll cheer us up a little bit to hear this. It's time to play the game! <laughs> That's made me feel better. Uh, did anyone get our um, not 20 questions? We all pick wrestlers. Everyone just has a guess. No, no questions getting asked. It's not 20 questions. And we are keeping receipts. I'm not going to yep. post them, but we will keep receipts. Yeah, we, we are. We're keeping each other honest. Probably asked to screenshot. Yeah. Uh, shout out to uh, Matt Reigns, Hugo, Big Flatty Cool, Daniel, uh, J, uh, JD of the KY. Put some respect on the name of Eric Vasquez. Uh, Werner, Kid Icarus, uh, Grant Willis, Jude the Dude. Andrew. <laughs> Just Jude's being dudes. And uh, Dylan. This guy's all, being Jude's. <laughs> who all quote tweeted and had their guesses. Uh, Michael Sidgwick, did anyone get yours? No. Nah. Who was it? It was Rock and Robin. Oh. oh! Of course, of course. No one got mine either. No? Um, it's the best wrestler of the year. And no one got him. Not John Moxley. Uh, Kanosuke Takeshita. Very I love good. him. I love him so Nobody much. Nobody got him. I thought something like that. Uh, Nobody got mine. It was Demolition Axe. Oh, oh. so close. So close. Who was it? Someone who just guessed all the same. Someone guessed Stu Hart, Bruce Hart, and Ju- oh, Kid Icarus guessed Stu Hart, Bruce Hart, and Julia Hart for the three of us. <laughs> and uh, JD of the KY uh, just guessed Crush for all of us. Might be a smart strategy. That yeah. I like that because the worst thing would be if it, if you someone who guessed Kanosuke Kate to guess for you or whatever. That it worst thing, wouldn't it? Oof. Yeah. Anyway, right. Uh, we'll do this all again next week. Uh, apologies. Oh. Well, you are. You'll, you'll be sunning yourself, possibly reading a copy of um, Becoming All Elite: The Rise of AEW. Available to purchase on Amazon. There you right go. Now. <laughs> uh, All going well. Apologies for going long, but we're passionate about this. Yeah. Uh, at what culture WWE? If you want to know, let us know your thoughts, uh, watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including tomorrow our preview of AW This is Red Page Baby complete with the returning for one week. Rampage rap. <laughs> well, for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. Right, thanks to the Dudley Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.